Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary here for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics Podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? I'm doing great. Doing good. Go I just ahead. got back inside from uh, chasing the mini pig around the yard and getting mooed at by the neighbor's cow. <laughs> it's been an interesting morning. Why are you chasing the pig around the yard? Because I have a bunch of fruit trees in the yard. And at one point, he thought that he was in charge of the fruit trees, but he's not allowed to eat the fruit. And so now anytime I divert my attention for just a few minutes, he beelines it over to the fruit. It's 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 a process to get him back into his uh, a prelude for face. having kids. Tell them not to do it. <laughs> that is exactly what they're going to do. There you go. Yeah. And sure, you're in charge, Hillary. Hey, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The pig knows it. The pig knows, yes. All right, so what are we doing today? Today we are doing another set of question and answers. Ooh. All right, yeah. all right. And uh, we've got Aquashella here in two weeks in Daytona Beach. Are you going? No, there was a split second of time that I almost I should have just bought the plane tickets when I found them they were really cheap and I waited till the next day to go and check out and the prices jumped back up overnight so I'm not going I wish I was uh, uh, see the computer knew it's it I have one friend well Dale you know Dale and uh, he swears that you actually have to go to another computer another IP address because the airlines know you searched it and they automatically raise the prices. How's that for a conspiracy theory? You know, I've actually heard that from, I follow like a, a travel guide or like, you know, for airlines and they say the same thing. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> so lesson learned. If I find a deal, buy it now. Buy it now. Yes. All right. So. That is our POS on travel for this morning. Let's get to the questions. <laughs> All right. I got to say there is a strong dino theme in today's questions. Um, so we'll start out, though, with one and only because, you know, why not? Question number well, one. I, okay. Well, that's okay. Because <laughs> right. we always talk about filtration, but with, with dinos, that's interesting. And uh, when you get there, we'll talk about that group that we meant at, um, oh, yeah. Where were we? Uh, Aquashella Dallas. Aquashella Dallas. Okay. So stay tuned, folks, if you're, uh, uh, well, just stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Question number one. In regards to cycling a tank, wouldn't putting the ammonia in first before the one and only be the best way? Because you put enough in to bring it up to 2 ppm and then add the bacteria. No, 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 no. I I don't like the put enough in till it gets to two because there's lots of factors and history shows, practical experience shows that if you keep on adding ammonia till your test kit says you're at two, you're t- actually much, much higher. So please, if you're using our ammonia, four drops per gallon, one drop per liter, 
maximum. Don't try to feed the beast. It will bite you. So I, this, we, we stress this a lot and, you know, why can't you just keep on adding ammonia till you get to two? Because there's dilutions, there's stir. You have to get it well mixed. How long do you uh, wait? Well, that depends upon how well your aquarium is mixing. And then we have some people, as you know, Hillary, that don't even turn the filter on. Well, I kept my filter off because you guys said so. No, we said remove your filter sock. We never said don't turn your filter on. So there's too many variables. Maximum four drops per gallon per day. That's it. Um, so that's my rant on that. Okay. All right. Get my motor running early, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Question number two. I have a tank with some very rare fish. This tank has very stubborn dinos, which only occupy the sand bed. I picked up your dino treatment. Does that work with LCA-type dinos? Assuming it does, my questions and concerns revolve around the three-day blackout. Will the fish be okay without feeding for three days, or do you recommend removal of the black plastic for periods of time to allow for feeding? Okay, so the dino formula that we have will work with all sorts of dinos. All fish, I mean, unless they're baby fry, super small fish can go three days without feeding. So you do not have to feed your fish during this blackout period. And you don't have, if you're going to feed, you don't have to remove the black plastic. Fish will find the food. So you don't have to worry about that. All right. Now, just out of curiosity, this one talks specifically about fish, but say people have corals. Um, can you touch on this treatment and how it would impact corals being without light for three days? Well, we've had lots and lots of people do it. And, you know, the corals, corals do fine. That's why we maximize it three days. Eventually you want to do that. And um, we've, I think had one incident and a guy said his coral wasn't doing very good to begin with where someone lost a coral, but it was only one coral. Um, or, you know, animals are quite resilient and corals and fish especially. So uh, most people overfeed their fish or have too much fat. So uh, having the fish, uh, go off feed. Uh, you know, we don't here in the lab. We generally don't feed on Sundays, um, and for the corals, they'll be fine. Not a problem. Okay. Question number three. This is a follow up from something we talked about in our last podcast. So I hope you're ready. What is the cockroach of the bacteria world? What is the cockroach of the bacteria world in? Saltwater, I would say it's Vibrio. Uh, Vibrio's making a comeback. Um, and uh, interestingly, I was reading an article this weekend about the big increase in Vibrio-related diseases in Florida 
uh, since that hurricane hit and stirred up all the sediment and the that brings nutrients into the you know the photic zone or the into the water from the sediment because the nutrients get trapped in the sediment and there's been a big increase in uh, flesh-eating bacteria disease, which is a vibrio, and all sorts of other vibrio-caused diseases. So definitely um, vibrio in salt water. In freshwater, there are species of Pseudomonas that you and some bacillus that you just can't get rid of. They're 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 always there. You know, that doesn't mean they're always growing and taking over. They're just lurking like a cockroach, you know, waiting waiting until conditions are good and then their populations explode. Um, uh, bacteria are actually pretty hard to kill. Um, when we're uh doing bacteria analysis, we actually have to bathe the sample in a type of a soap and uh, maybe heat to crack open the cell wall. Or uh, old school is you actually had a bead beater. And this was, a, it's, a, it's a modified paint mixer that you might see at Home Depot. And you put these beads in with your sample and shake in a very harsh solution. This is where your bacteria sample is to break open the bacteria cell wall. Um, they're hardy little buggers, which is why they've been around for so long. Kind of their, most all of them are cockroaches. Interesting. I did not, I did not know that. I always learn something new. Yeah. It's uh fun. To, you know, it's, it's, that's why, you know, when you do, uh, wash your hands and things like that in soap because they they used to be the manufacturers used to be able to claim kills 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 and now if you've noticed it doesn't say kill kill kills the bacteria or something washes off 99 percent because you can't <laughs> say 100 because it's never going to be 100 and you're basically washing the bacteria off killing bacteria or you know where you have killing it takes, as we talked about, a huge amount of uh, UV or radiation, or you've got to crack open that cell wall. And uh, that's not the easiest thing. It, it takes effort to do that. Okay. Let's move on. Question number four. How about phosphate in our unfiltered tap water? Can it promote algae growth? Oh, sure. Phosphate's phosphate. And phosphate is uh, generally lacking. And so at, in, in aquatic environments, um, like iron, um, and uh, but definitely phosphate from tap water can stimulate algae growth if conditions are correct. Yep. Okay, easy enough. Question number five. Once the bottle of ammonium chloride is open, does it go bad? If not, how long will a bottle last? I raise trout in my classroom, and I'm thinking I could buy a bigger bottle to use over the course of three years. Uh, it As long as you keep it sealed, uh, it lasts basically 
years and years and years. Um, the, the why you want to keep it sealed is that you can get the water, you know, the whole solution to type to, to evaporate. Now, I, I, I'm talking specifically about our ammonia solution, which is ammonium chloride. If you have a solution made out of ammonium hydroxide, that means the pH is quite high. And what happens when the pH is high? A majority or you know a higher percentage of the total ammonia is in the gas form. That's why you can smell ammonia in some of those cleaners that have a high pH because the ammonias, you know, a certain percentage of it are at a really high pH above 12, 100% of the ammonia is kind of in that gas form. So that if, you know, you leave open, um, it, it'll dissipate, you know, it'll, it'll come out of the bottle into the air and you'll slowly lose concentration and stuff like that. But keeping a sealed bottle of ammonia, it's good for three, four, five years, not a problem at all. It does not go bad. Okay. I'm curious to know, uh, like, hear more about the trout in the classroom thing. I don't, I don't know that they do it everywhere, but since I've moved up here to the Pacific Northwest, I've heard of a bunch of places doing like trout and like salmon releases. I always thought that would be fun. Yeah, we, uh, th there's a, uh, big program i could put you in touch there's a guy back east that runs it in several states and i know virginia because uh once a year uh you know we give discounts to educational facilities they buy several hundred bottles small bottles of one and only to to seed their uh tanks in the classroom very educational so i can put you in touch with more of that Okay, that'd be cool. And I did not, again, I'm learning something new. I didn't realize that we had a program for uh, educators discounts. So that's, that's exciting. Yep. yep. Yes. Or, or sometimes, you know, donations stuff might be, you know, bad boxes and things like that. So, uh, and uh, yeah, we've got a couple of schools, you know, nowadays you got to be careful because the school kids are of that age where there's posting rules and all that kind of stuff. But it's not so much to put it on Facebook or Twitter. It's to help get kids excited about science and biology and aquatics and stuff like that. So, Exactly. I wish, I wish that I had those programs when I was in school. Like, you know, I think that would be fun. Okay. Question number six. I'm bringing eight koi between three and 10 inches in for overwintering. I'll be putting them in a hundred gallon stock tank in my basement. The average temperature is 68 degrees. The filter is a plastic container, gravel foam, and plastic bio balls that sits above the tank. I would like to use one and only, but I see the directions for it want you to have a gravel bottom tank, which I don't have. Would your product work for me? Well, the product will work, definitely. Um, now, 68 is a little bit on the low side. Bio balls aren't a problem, but it can take the the bacteria a little longer. Um, so, you know, what I recommend is before you bring the, the koi in, have the temperature, if you can, it's, I mean, it's 100 gallons, you could put a heater in a 100 gallon vat or tank, get the, get the temperature up into the, you know, mid 70s at least, and establish the biofilter and then 
turn the heaters off and let the temperature drop down to 68, but get, get that, you know, big population of functioning bacteria going before you lower the temperature down into the sixties. And then did he say where they're located or the person say where they're located? It did not. Okay. Then watch the pH because as you're adding ammonium chloride, the pH is going to drop. In some areas of the country, don't have much alkalinity, so the pH can drop quite rapidly. So, um, you know, once you've got it established, uh, change some water, keep the pH up, you know, in above seven, and then um, again at that cold temperature or colder temperature, I'm person probably knows this. They have koi. You don't need to feed the fish all the time as the temperature drops. Um, Koi go off. He once the temperature gets into the fifties, the koi basically don't eat. So you're just adding organics, which can cause bacterial blooms, and the bacteria can take the oxygen out of the water. So it's just it's a mess. So in those colder temperatures, um, feed your fish less or don't feed them at all. Of course, in Southern California, you don't really have that problem. There's no snow. <laughs> No, less maintenance for you when it's colder. <laughs> and we don't have basements either. <laughs> okay. Question number seven. I've been trying to control nutrients in my 400-gallon reef aquarium for almost a year using carbon dosing and minimal water changes. ICP testing shows trace elements are generally in balance. Nitrates can be driven to zero if I wanted to but phosphate never gets below 0.2 ppm. I've tried numerous carbon sources, but none have solved my issue. Do you sell any PAO bacteria that could help me grow enough of the right bacteria to solve this problem? What are PAO bacteria? I was really hoping you would know. PAO, I mean, there's purple sulfate, you know, reducing bacteria, PSR. There's, there's that one company. Not exactly sure. Purple phototrophic, photoautotrophic. Well, I'm not going to get. I don't know what PAO bacteria are. Um, but if so, if you have phosphate but no nitrate. You're once once okay. Let me start over. Bacteria, like all organisms, need three things for you know. It, it's more complicated than this, but basically they need carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus. In most situations, the phosphorus drops to unmeasurable limits un, and unmeasurable value, and then things stop. Um, the, the bacteria can't work. Maybe your corals don't look very good because you don't have enough phosphate in the aquarium. Now, some people will um, say that you've got plenty of phosphate, which, you know, it's there's the organic form we can't measure and you've got nitrogen and that it's the carbon that gets limited. And that's why you're vodka dosing or adding fuel. The idea is that, or, or um, uh, 
some type of a you know quote fuel it's a sugar some type of carbon the idea there is you've got nitrogen you've got phosphorus but your tank is carbon limited and all this is true it just depends upon the tank you know not every tank is exactly the same and then in rare cases you have where where you can not measure nitrogen nitrate is zero there's no ammonia there's no nitrite there's no nitrate you got phosphate you got carbon but any one of those three once it gets that one gets to zero or unmeasurable or below measurement then the bacterial process stops and nothing you know you're not going to lower the phosphate anymore which it seems where this person is and they were adding what did they say they were adding Hillary? Different carbon sources. Right. They didn't so, give anything specific. Yeah. No, see, we don't we don't know what's going on there, but if 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 your nitrate or phosphate are unmeasurable, adding a carbon source isn't gonna help because you need some of all three. And in this case, when he says that he can drive his nitrate to zero. I don't know if that happens when he adds the carbon source. I, I, I'm pretty sure it does because he, he gets a little carbon. He's got high phosphate. He adds, I mean, he's got, he's got a little nitri, nitri, nitrate. He's got some phosphate. He adds the carbon. And then that probably drives the nitrate to zero. And then that the process, all these bacterial processes stop. So what to do? Well, you've got to find where your nitrogen sink is. I mean, what, 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 there are sources and sinks. Sor sources, you're adding nitrogen to your fish or something like that. The sinks are where it's going, you know, down the sink. Where's, what's causing the, nit the nitrogen, the nitrate, disappear? And in established marine tanks, more than likely, you've got some denitrification going on because you've got anaerobic zones. And that is definitely more common in tanks that have a thicker substrate. You know, your coral, this, you know, the coral gravel is, or coral sand is over two, three, you know, four. Some people, you know, oh yeah, I got six inches. I don't, you know. And so you've got anaerobic zones in there. Or if there's an area where there's poor water circulation, um, that can cause bacterial processes that will remove the nitrate from the water. The, the, there's three ways nitrogen or nit nitrate is removed from an aquarium. One is water changes. Two is uh, aerobic bacterial action. So that's, you know, growing bacteria on bio pellets, uh, things like that, or through denitrification, where in an, a low oxygen or anaerobic environment, bacteria are converting to nitrate, first to nitrite, and then to nitrogen gas. And uh, I would say in his situation, that's what's going on. Um, and once that nitrate's gone, you're not going to remove any of the phosphate because none of the other bacterial processes or the assimilation can happen.
you know, if you suspect you have anaerobic zones and you have denitrification, the tendency is to go in there and really change things quickly. But I would caution against that because if you have low oxygen or anaerobic zones, pretty much guarantee you have no oxygen or anoxic zones. And as we were talking about in the very first question, those can trap nutrients. Now you go in there and start stirring that up, introducing oxygen, that can cause a bacterial bloom. It, you know, it can release phosphates and nitrates and then the bacteria can bloom and suck all the oxygen out of the water. The tank can turn cloudy. So you want to be careful about doing wholesale cleaning. And uh, especially this was like a 400 gallon tank, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's a big tank, but even if it's a smaller tank, you would want to do things slowly, take a small, an eighth of the substrate bed, and siphon clean that and every, you know, wait a couple of days and it's a two, three week process, but you want to do this slowly. You don't really want to go in there and just wholesale disturb the bed, rearrange all the rock work and coral work and really do a wholesale cleaning because the chances are you'll release a ton of nutrients into the water, get a bacterial bloom and suck all the oxygen out and end up killing everything. So in, in that case, slow is better. Yes. And I, I think I heard this from Mark Levinson. It, it, it takes you a while to get into situations where you have these issues and to be patient when you're trying to solve them, give yourself time to get out of them. Don't yeah. expect an overnight fix. Yeah, and don't try to, you know, shove an overnight fix into it because uh, I just had it there when we were at um, at Reef of Blues in Texas. A guy was telling me that he wiped his whole tank out this way. So, oh no, oh no. That's well, odd. the tendency is, you know, get in there and go to clean this sucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not the way to go. Yep. Oh. Painful and it probably looks ugly and it's terrible and obnoxious to you know see but give it time yep okay we are on question number eight i saw a video of dr tim with mr saltwater aquarium about using waste away to treat the dinos in my 20 gallon reef aquarium i purchased it and started dosing yesterday i'm new to the hobby and i want to make sure that i'm doing this correctly Bottle says to start dosing with half the recommended amount. So instead of adding four capfuls to my 20 gallon, I added two capfuls. I'm stuck and I don't know how to proceed. Can you give me detailed instructions on how to treat the tank? Is this a new tank? Because this person said they're new. Um, Let's let's say it's a new tank, just based on okay, them yeah. being new to so, the hobby. Um, the first thing to do is make sure that you have what you think you have. Dinos generally do not appear in new tanks. Uh, th that That's the tank, usually in six months or more. I don't know if you see that, Hilly, but in new tanks go through an ugly phase that is caused by diatoms. And you can get a cleanup crew to fix that. 
or it in many cases just disappears on its own. So, you know, uh, diatoms, the big difference is it's a very, very thin, light coating that spreads across the substrate, or sometimes it's on this weird band on the on the walls. You know, below it, there's it's clean. Above it, it's got to do maybe with some light or something like that. <laughs> Where diatoms, I mean, uh, dinoflagellates, generally the tank uh, in the morning before the lights come on, the substrate looks pretty good. And as the lights uh, come on and it's longer and longer, you have this crud that's growing up, not just, you know, laterally along the bottom, but you've got strands of this stuff reaching up into the tank and might be full of air bubbles and things like that. That's a pretty good sign of uh, types of dinoflagellates. Now, um, we always say, as we just said in the other question, go slow. So we have a recipe card that you can download. Hillary will add the link. And manually remove as much as that, so clean the substrate. Then we recommend starting with refresh, followed by waste away. And as we were talking in an earlier question also, Dinoflagellates are photosynthetic. That's why your tank looks great before the lights come on. And then as the day goes by and the lights have been on longer and longer, the tank starts to look worse and worse. So that's what we recommend the dark phase for is absolutely black that tank out because that stresses the dinoflagellates. They are photosynthetic. They don't have any light. It stresses them. You're hitting them with the refresh bacteria that stresses them even further and then you clean the whole thing up with the waste away. And uh, there's step-by-step directions, so we have a recipe card on that. In long term, it, and this is not in every case, you know, that's what makes biology fun, aquariums fun. It's all there's always an exception to everything. But generally, if you do have diatoms, long term. You've got to get your nutrients in balance. And in most cases, people have low to you know, no measurable phosphate and very low nitrate. So the phosphate needs to get up around 0.05. And the phosphate, you know, between seven and 10, or I'm sorry, nitrate between, you know, five and 10, seven and 10. Uh, and and I'm sure there's people, well, I never have those values. I've operated my tanks for years when there was super low values. And well, congratulations. But going to all the shows that I go to and all the emails and things we get, definitely low phosphate, low nitrate, you know, zero phosphate, nitrate below five. That leads to invariably uh, dinoflagellate blooms because that's the only thing. Dinoflagellates can feed on organics and they're photosynthetic. So, as I've mentioned before, you've you've eliminated the ability of pelagic bacteria to grow because you don't have enough phosphate and nitrate. You've eliminated the ability of the cyano to grow because you don't have any phosphate. They can get their nitrogen from the air, but they need phosphate from the water. So you've played right into the hands of the dinos. And um, 
It takes time to get rid of it long-term, though you've got to get your nutrients in balance. And that brings up the the people we were talking to. I never I met, met the guy from Belgium, Hillary. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember their name? Give me yeah. a minute. So this this is a group. It's It's a Facebook group, right? It is. And they specialize in helping people solve their dino problems. Uh, and it was quite interesting talking to the guy and, and yeah, he's from, remember he's from Belgium and Hillary will put the link up there and it's um, Max. Yeah. Max Reef Dino Flagellate Support Group. Support Group. Sounds yep. like you're in therapy or something. We probably are pulling your hair out, <laughs> battling with dinos. <laughs> like as someone who's just finished battling with dinos, it, yes, it feels yeah. like it. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're, we're all about educating. The whole purpose of these podcasts is to educate and educate. So I don't mind at all uh, talking about other groups because, you know, they have different ideas and talk to a lot of people and specialize in helping with dinos. So if you're just, you know, interested or having, um, issues you just haven't been able to solve it maybe give them a shout and look at their page uh, of the different things that they're doing to uh, combat dinos because there are different types of dinos and and some people will say you know uv works great well not for all of them and you know get your magnesium up to over 1300 or something that can work great in some cases so you know the bio the fun of biology but the uh, frustration of biology is it seems like there's never the answer, but the issue is there's never just one biology. You know, your the aquariums are not the same. The conditions are not the same. So one thing may not work uh, because, because that worked on something else. And rarely do we have enough information to, uh, you know, know that that's exactly what it should be. That's why we have different groups and discussions and podcasts and things like that. So check those people out if you're having just relentless uh, dino problems that you can't solve. Yes. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that they had at their booth. They had a couple of microscopes set out and they were talking about, you know, one of the things they would recommend for hobbyists is to have a microscope. It doesn't have to be the fanciest thing in the world, but just allows you to get a better idea of what exactly it is that you're dealing with as opposed to just kind of guessing, like I've got some sort of algae outbreak. All right. Yeah. Well, what specifically? Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Cause now you can get some that you can hook your iPhone up to. I've heard of those. Sounds kind of fun. Yeah. And then, you know, well, you can take pictures and things like that. So it doesn't have to be a, you know, a super expensive uh, unit. Okay. Let's move on. Question number nine. I recently set up a 120 gallon saltwater tank with sump filtration. I use Dr. Tim's one and only cycling bacteria with the ammonium chloride. I currently have the protein skimmer off. However, it's just sitting in my sump. I'm on day four of the schedule and was wondering when to turn the skimmer back on. Now, uh, after 48 hours. So the reason you turn the skimmer off is the one and only bacteria are on a small particle, which can be trapped by filter socks or um, removed 
even if it wasn't a small particle, as the bacteria in the water, skimmers are really good at removing bacteria from the water column. So we recommend keeping your skimmer uh, and UV roller socks, uh, filter socks, you know, these fine micron, not your sponge pad, not your bio balls, but these fine, fine mechanical filters. Uh, keep those off for 48 hours after you add the bacteria. And uh, ozone's starting to make a little bit of a, co a comeback. So definitely keep the ozone off for 48 hours until the bacteria can settle. Then you can turn them all back on. Yep. And something I would like to make note of, especially if you have a new skimmer and you, it hasn't been broken in yet, it might go a little bit crazy in the very beginning, just something to be aware of. Yeah, there's lots of reasons. You've got form release, you know, mold release from all the plastic parts in your in the tank and things like that and all sorts of reasons. So Oh yeah. But plus the skimmer's brand new. And a lot of those skimmers are glued with different glues. So um you know, we we recommend this for when people are fishless cycling, but it's it's just good practice to set up your tank and get everything running. You know, don't, don't, don't be in a rush to add bacteria and fish right away. Get everything running, check, you know, for a day or two, check for leaks to check to make sure everything's working well. Maybe you do have to do a little bit of a water change. Um, if you've got live sand, you know, that can cause a bacterial bloom. Uh, because you've got all those organics that are in the live sand. And and run the tank for 48 hours or 72 hours, just to be sure. Then you can start your cycling with or without fish or with the fishless cycling and add bacteria and things like that. But it's always best to uh, run things for a while. Get more, get comfortable. If you're using all the great, you know, the probes and dosers and all that crazy uh, stuff, um, get used to it in an actual operating situation for a couple of days before you start, you know, plunging into cycling and things like that. Yes. I couldn't agree with that more. My newest tank that I set up, I think it, it had water in it and was just running for probably a couple of weeks. Granted I was traveling, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, I'm not in a rush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, we're coming down to our last two questions. Question number 10. I currently have small cell amphidenium dinoflagellates, which I identified under a microscope. I want to try your dino treatment of a three-day blackout and dosing refresh and waste away. Should I do a gravel back and scrub the rocks to remove some of the dinos before starting treatment? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's it always helps um, to physically remove as much of the offending thing, you know, whether it's cyanos or dinos or hair algae or something like that, physically removing as much as possible helps. And then, uh, and, and now, you know, I preface that because physically removing, if your tank has been set up for a while and you've got ultra low levels, as we talked about, um, just a couple of questions ago, you go in there, start really crazily siphon cleaning the, the coral bed. You may release a lot of nutrients 
which can cause a bloom, which can cause, you know, bigger problems. So you just have to be careful of of overdoing everything, you know, and um, I'm I'm trying not to get stuck here. Well, do I clean the gravel bed or do I not clean the gravel bed? <laughs> um, I I prefer thin. I, I I definitely like gravel bed. Some people say, and this this I, I would tend to agree with this. If you've been battling dinos and you have a pretty thick gravel bed and you're at your wit's end, I would bite the bullet and remove the entire gravel bed. It's just infested. That's where the dinos are grown. Um, I don't know if you ever have done that, Hillary. Just just siphon clean the whole thing out. You don't have to start no. over with the whole <laughs> tank. Uh, I have. You just get frustrated. It's like, yeah, you just... You just and and basically what you do is remove siphon clean everything out have extra aeration uh in and run it right away don't wait cuz you know the bacteria are going to bloom it's it's the rule of you know murphy's law things going to happen when you're gone or at night when you're sleeping or things like that so add extra aeration in there uh run your skimmer you know, and and uh, you if you have UV, just any way to remove bacteria, because as the bacteria are blooming, if they're going to bloom, because you've removed and and you're going to stir up that gravel bed, and in the process of removing it, of course, there's nutrients released. Um, your skimmer can remove bacteria. Your UV can maybe kill some bacteria, um, and then you know, wait, don't don't immediately do any of the treatment. Get rid of the that bed or clean it really, really well, and then observe and have extra aeration for a couple of days and then start the treatment. Kind of one step at a time here is what I recommend. I think that's a good idea. All right, we're on our last question, number 11. Hi there. I'm currently dealing with a dino issue. See, I told you it was a theme for today. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I've seen Dr. Tim suggest dosing waste away in conjunction with waste away gel to fight dinos, but I've also seen him suggest using the dino treatment kit, which, as I understand, consists of doing a blackout period along with refresh and then waste away. I'm wondering which route is more recommended. I've read that refresh can lead to invert death, so I'm a little hesitant to go that route. Just wondering if I should use just what if I should just use waste away, if that will help. Well, for refresh can, in some cases, especially with overdosing in a bare bottom tank, harm snails and shrimp, but the rest of the invertebrates, it doesn't, have, we've never had any problems with. Um, do you have to use refresh as part of the treatment? The answer is, no, you can do the blackout and then start with low amounts of waste away. Um, and then, as we've mentioned several times, get your water quality parameters in balance and realize it's not a one-day fix. It's a several-week to a month fix. Uh, and just like when you're remodeling your house or cleaning up or something, things might start to look worse before they look better and just stick with the program. Um, 
you can have success with this. It's just most people want success tomorrow, and that's not going to happen. Good things take time, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's, I mean, there, there's a variety of ways to do this. And uh, some people I know have solved dino problems by just getting their phosphate and nitrate in check. And, and then slowly like adding our waste away gel, which times releases bacteria to get rid of the organics. Because remember, the dinoflagellates can feed on organics. So you want to reduce the organics in, in the system. And if you want to do that in a more, I say, benign way, safe, safer way, is let bacteria slowly do the job. They get into the substrate. They get into your sand coral, and they'll degrade that. And that's where the waste away gels can help. Um, it just depends to a certain extent on your patience and, and ability to have some. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little. And, and dinos, you got to have a lot of patience. It'll, it'll pay off. And once you get there, because you, you can go for the quick fix and things, but if you, and even um, I tell people, you can buy our, you know, the kit and follow the directions. But what led you to dinos? You got, you know, we're treating symptoms here. And just be honest, we are treating symptoms. So what's the long-term fix? And that's water quality um, and You've, you've got to get that eventually dialed in or you're just going to be back where you started and get frustrated and then drop out of this great hobby. And that's not what we want. So that's why we're here talking about options that will help you uh, over the long term fix things and enjoy your tank. All right. That's it for the day, Hillary. Yep, that's it. Dinos 101. I know. Yeah. That's okay. The... I'm trying to remember the guys there from uh, Mac for time, he had a theory, and I can't remember why the dinos. He seemed to that you know he was saying it's all because of uh, people are using more and more captive live rock and things like that, uh, which could be you know we're spreading things around. But as with any type of biological pest, you can move it around, or but. It's the conditions under which it becomes established. And as I'm going to say, probably for the 101th time, it's water quality. It really is your phosphates and nitrates, um, which you don't need an ICP test for. ICP is not going to tell you what you're, you know, give you any good information about phosphates and nitrates. Your good old simple test kits will do that um, and, and get those values where they need to be. And then slowly start working on correcting the problem. And you should be good. Yep, exactly. All right. I can hear pigs stealing the pears in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> he knows you're distracted out here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all right. I just have birds. <laughs> can't do much about them. Well, I can't do much about pigs, so <laughs> <laughs> call the draw. That's it. All right, everyone. This has been Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Good fish keeping, everybody.